0: We've been, um, uh, as a church, we had a, well, we had a little surprise visit last week, we had the Bishop of Mozambique here, that was rather exciting and we're looking to link up with a, a partner church in Mozambique and, and um, explore what, what that might mean for us as a church and what that will look like and uh, we're, looking to, um, uh, we're looking to do a trip out there next year to uh, explore that in further detail um, but in between that, uh, apart from that little uh, visit, we've been looking at a letter in the New Testament. It's from 1 Peter, and it's, we had a part of it read this morning. Um, of course, it was written as a letter to be read as a whole letter, of course, to the churches. And I, what I want to do is just set the scene a little. Just, uh, I'm aware we've got some visitors here for the baptism. Just remind us of what this letter is all about, just so that you can... Um, be with us in the story as we get to the portion uh, we're looking at today. Um, uh, it's a letter written to a scattered church. Um, this is what has happened. The Christians um, have been persecuted. They, uh, the Christian faith has been growing at a, a terrific rate and um, causing all sorts of upset because it's been seen as a challenge to um, the worship of Caesar, has been seen as a challenge to um, the Roman emperors. Uh, it, they're seen that it's seen as though, it's thought as though the Christian church is trying to uh, undermine the leadership uh, and authority of the ruling people. Of course, they're not trying to do it, but they're seen as that, and then Nero blames the Christians for the great fire of Rome, and uh, persecution sets, starts out, and the Christians... Uh, have to flee. They have to get out of town because uh, people are literally um, killing them. They've, they've, uh, they're being thrown to uh, the lions. They're being seen as sport. Um, all sorts of horrific things happening. So they've, they've fled and they've gone to, uh, lots of them have gone to Uh, the people that that Peter's writing to have gone to what would be known as present day Turkey and they've spread into five particular areas Um, it says they've gone to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia the provinces of Asia and Bithynia and Peter writes this letter to those who fled to the scattered crowd to um, encourage them And, and, and we reminded ourselves generally at the beginning this is the main theme of this letter this is what he's writing for. He's writing first of all to say, you are chosen by God. You're trying to get out, it's that way. Oh, the playroom is there. Oh, there's another one there. That's the the street. It's all going well this morning, I can see we've got the whole thing going. Um, He writes these three main things. Right, the first thing he says is this, you're chosen by God. He reminds them they're chosen. They may not feel like it at the moment. They've lost their homes, they've lost their businesses, they've lost all sorts of things, but he reminds them they're chosen by God. Now, now, just make that leap. You might not feel like it at the moment. You know, God's chosen you. Whatever faith or no faith you have, God chooses you. He says you are really important. He's chosen you as his son or daughter. He's chosen you as a child in his care. He's chosen you as important in his life. Of course, our, our response to that is whether we would take that chance and uh, invitation and choose God back. That, that's the way it works. God says, I've chosen you. And his big invitation to us is would we respond to that choice? Would we receive that invitation? Would we say yes? to him as Lord and Saviour in our lives. But he writes to these Christians, he says, I want to remind you that God has chosen you. Don't forget that. Even though you're living under this severe persecution, even though it feels as though um, you've been forgotten, I want to remind you that you're chosen by God, Peter says. Secondly, he wants to remind them that God is at work in their lives. You know, sometimes it can feel like God's not at work. For, for them, it might have felt as this scattered community, well, where was God in all of this? You know, we, we trusted in God and we put our lives in his will, in his hands, and then look, we've lost our homes, we've lost our businesses, we're, we're living in foreign lands, we're, we're scattered all over the place. And, and Peter writes to say, don't forget he's not just chosen you, He's working through you. Of course, we have the benefit of hindsight and we can see that with hindsight that this was the beginning, this was the spark that enabled the church to go worldwide. The scattered Christians took the fire and the light of the gospel around the world. So, so their being scattered actually caused many more communities and many more people to come to Christ, although they probably couldn't see it at the time. But that's actually what happened. They, it can sometimes feel as though, can't it, that, that we make sure that we've got everything lined up, everything's um, organised in our lives, and it can feel as though God isn't at work. You know, I, I am, just as a little aside, I, I took my wife Lynn's away this week, and, um, just for a couple of days, and uh, we went away really for, the thing that we love doing together is we love walking, and we went to walk in the Oxfordshire countryside, and I would know, phoned ahead, 28th wedding anniversary it was, so... I phoned ahead, and we thought, we'll go Thursday night, come back Saturday morning, in time to, you know, take our son to uni, and all that sort of thing. Actually, he's only gone this morning, such is life, we're teenagers, but, but it, we, 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 we planned it all out, you see, and um, uh, I booked ahead, as any dutiful husband would, I booked ahead, and I looked on the website, you know, you just want to make sure the rooms look nice, don't you, all of that sort of thing, it's all going to be nice, I, and we got there, we left a bit late, we were meant to leave a Thursday, uh, lunchtime-ish really, and Thursday uh, we got a call from Premier Radio, we were going to do some recording, which was okay, so we went up and did some recording, and then we, so we didn't get away till late, and, and, uh, and then it was a nice slow drive, because I said, well we're not going to take our, we're gonna take my, I've got a little MG, I said we're going to go in our MG, and my wife goes, oh no, not with the roof down. <laughs> I said, like, yeah, well, it's sunny, you know. So we drove, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it was a bit of a slower drive. And uh, we got down to as far as Oxford, and she said, well, maybe we could just pop into Oxford before we go, you know, to the place to stay. And I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, but we did that. We went into Oxford and did all that sort of thing. And then we, we finally got to this place to stay, and you get there, and uh, we walked in, and the lady said, oh, she said, uh, I can see you're booked in, she said, but actually, um, someone's made a mistake, and all the rooms are gone and everybody else is here. And uh, I was thinking, oh, no. It's now like 7.30, and we've got nowhere to stay. So we had everything sorted out, and then we were driving around the Oxfordshire countryside trying to find places to stay, you know. And in the end, we found a place. We found this place. Well, I'm not sure I've ever seen such a small room in all my life. I'm not sure you could really... It's not designed to be a room. And then in the small room, they put a little room in the room that was a shower. And, and, and like you get in there, and you had to get in there and stand against the wall to close the door, you know, it's like that sort of play. And, and then you turn the tap on to clean your teeth, and on the toilet it's got a macerator, so you turn the tap on and the whole room comes alive with this engine that's running in the room. And, uh, you know, we got into bed and I said, Vince, I said, this wasn't quite the sort of romantic getaway I thought it might be. Darling, i me sorry about that. And she said, that's fine. She said, does it smell damp in here? I said, no, it really does smell damp in here. She said, all our clothes are going to smell damp in the morning. I said, yeah, they are. It's just this is, you know, not good news. So we, you can sometimes get everything sorted out, can't you? And then it's like it all goes to pieces. Well, it, 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 it probably felt like that to them. You know, we were doing all the right stuff. Uh, and then it all fell to pieces. It, 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 my illustration is useless, really, but... But the point that they're saying is, what Peter's saying is, look, even though it doesn't feel as though it's working out, God is still at work in your life. That is what has made the Christian church still the largest faith community in the world today. When when the Chinese tried to stamp out Christianity um, through persecution, you saw in the BBC and on the news just a couple of weeks ago, Um, it's grown to millions upon millions upon millions of followers. My friend Bruce Collins was out in uh, China about two years ago now and he came back and he'd been part of a meeting in a church that had seven million people who belonged. The church is growing at such a colossal rate. And the persecution that was going on here, actually, Peter says, look, God's still at work and Peter obviously had an understanding that God would never let go of his kingdom. And the, the kingdom continued uh, to grow. So he reminds them, firstly, you're chosen by God. As each of you are in this room, whatever you think, whatever you believe, God loves you. He just wants you to say yes to him. He loves you. He wants to remind you. God, Peter wants to remind them that God's at work in their lives. And finally, he just says, you know, he wants to say to them, that your security is in God, that your saviour. When everything seems to be falling apart, hold on tight to God. So often, when things fall apart, people run away from God. We scrabble to try and sort the solutions out ourselves. Actually, it's really important to run to God. He's the one. So imagine getting a letter from Peter, this important person in this new church that sprung up. It would have been really exciting just seeing that it was from him, that this, these scattered Christians would have gone, gosh, Peter cares about us, that, you know, that the church has remembered us, that they're concerned uh, for us. When my son was ill uh, two years ago, he had a fall and uh, was in a life-threatening situation Somebody somewhere, somehow, somewhere, I don 't know who, got in touch with somebody at Manchester United, and my son got a signed letter from Sir Alex Ferguson, saying that he was in his thoughts and he 'd hoped that he would get well again soon. Get well again soon. I 'm sure you can imagine my son was able to tell you every word that was in that letter. Uh, he showed it to everybody he possibly could show it to, and um, he still treasures it even today. In fact, without even reading it, he could probably quote it to you word for word. That's the sort of response this letter from Peter would have got. Imagine getting a letter from Peter. It's a bit like getting one from Sir Alex Ferguson if you're a 10 year old boy. You know, it, w- it would have been felt really uh, important. So, we're at this point in the letter. What does it say for us today? It says this. For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. The king as head of state and his officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honour who do right. And I guess as they read this, remembering the situation, these are Christians... Who've been scattered because they've been persecuted by the ruling authorities, and they're thrilled to get this letter from Peter, and everything seems fine. They're reading so far. God has chosen you, God's still at work in your life. Make God your security, your rock. We're right with you, Peter. And then he says, Respect all those in authority. And you're going, Hold on, mate. They, they just killed a load of our mates. You know, where's that come from? What, what do you mean? Uh, by that. Should we uncritically accept what the authorities say? How do we as Christians deal with, with attention, if there is attention, by, created by who we are and our presence in society with our need to preserve our integrity as individuals? How do we stand faithful to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian if uh, the demands of society conflict with that? Well, of course, Peter is writing to these Christians, these scattered Christians, who are no longer under the Roman rule. They're now under the rule of other leaders. And he's saying, while you're under the rule of these other leaders, look, respect their authority. Become part of the community. Embrace the society that you're there as part of. There to accept that change. I just want to, I'll come back to that in a second. But let me just say, you know, there are two pictures in... Uh, the Bible of authority. Um, uh, One uh, gives us a picture of actually the challenge that there is to authority, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17, are charged with turning the world upside down. They're reported as being blasphemous in the way in which they live their lives because they honour a king other than Caesar. They honour the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus himself, the Gospels make it fairly plain that he bucked the system every now and again. Um, it, it, when the... Uh, Jesus didn't accept all the legal and governing authorities as ultimate dispensers of God's will. He upset the status quo. He challenged the authorities' claim to the right, to right and truth. In the context of life of discipleship, countless martyrs down through the ages have sacrificed their lives because they've challenged what society has been saying. And it seems to me there are two scriptures. This is God's intention of a right authority. One is of of human life where it's lived in the context of community and community life that is harmonious, peaceful and orderly. And that sort of authority should be enforced by those in government. Therefore, insofar as uh, the state and its rulers exercise their authority, In keeping God's intent, they act as God's ministers for the common good in society. However, if the authority of the state runs counter to this, then that should not be understood to be uh, a God-given authority. Uh, A state which persecutes Christians dispenses injustice rather than justice, supports moral decay, tramples on the weak and the powerless, are being led... By forces other than the Almighty God. So, to return to today's reading, Peter is saying, under the leadership of the governors who now rule over you, in this new context, this is what I say, verse 15 It is God's will that your good life should silence those who make foolish accusations against you. You're not slaves, you're free. But your freedom's not an excuse to do evil, you're free to live as God's slaves. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and show respect for the King. He's saying that there's a calling on our lives. We're chosen people. We're called to be different. We're called to shout out for justice. We're called to be a voice for the voiceless. We're called to uphold the cause of the right and the just. And he gives us three succinct demands at the end of that little reading there. He says this, first of all, It says, show respect for everyone, honour all people. We're to be known by our love. You know, what's been challenged about the church in the past is when all's been said and done, the church has been more about what's been said than done. And and, and I hope that is not true of us at St Paul's. I know that is not true of many churches throughout this land now. The church is really a church that has uh, embraced the need to be socially active, across the land, across the communities of this land, across the world actually, embracing the need to get involved in uh, local community. We're involved in our community, in our schools, in many mercy ministries, in helping the poor, the homeless and the prisoner. In fact, we as a church stretch ourselves pretty far and wide and we work quite hard, I think. Uh, But when we look at the numbers of those living in poverty in the world and we think of what we have, then I think we have a huge responsibility and uh, a terrific opportunity to bring change. That's what excites me about something like the Bishop of Mozambique coming last week. You know, we'll, we'll take a team out to Mozambique next year, we'll partner with a church, and I know we'll make a huge difference in that community. But more than that, we'll learn a lot. We'll learn a lot. Those with nothing in life perhaps teach us the most. Those who've got nothing have so much to teach those who have materially uh, uh, much in life. So we'll work with them. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, look, let your behavior be such that people can't accuse you of doing anything wrong. Live a holy life. And he talks in verse 24, he says that Jesus personally carried away our sin in his own body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. He's saying, this is the thing. This is the thing. You have, you have found that place where you've got righteousness and justice reign. You've found the one God who will give you deep satisfaction way down in your heart. You've found the one who will give you purpose and guidance in life. He's the one to live for. And in doing that, we're to honour all people. Much of society today is all about looking after ourselves. And do you know, that's, that's often the easy thing, isn't it? I, I'll just look after myself. I, I just look after my home and my family. I, you know, there's much that I can do. But actually, as Christians, we're not called to do that and we won't change the world if we do that. We're called actually to put others first. We're called to make a difference. We're called to sacrifice ourselves that other people's lives might be blessed. We're called to think of them first and foremost, rather than ourselves. And he's telling these persecuted Christians, be a blessing to the communities that you're now a part of. Take the opportunity that you have to share something of God's goodwill. He says, don't talk down the rulers and authorities. Talk up the presence of God Talk up what God is doing. Create another culture, a culture of righteousness and goodness that will change society. And we could do with that, couldn't we, in our society today. We could do with creating a culture where God's goodness is shared in people's lives, where something of the life and the light of Christ comes into people's lives. So the first thing that Peter says to them is, honour all people, be agents of change, Love people for who they are, and in so doing, share something of the light of Christ. Secondly, he says this, he says, be involved in each other's lives. He says, um, show respect for everyone, so honour all people. And then he says, love your Christians, bro- Christian brothers and sisters. You know, there's nothing quite like belonging to a community. We all need others. And to have others around us with the same values, the same outlook, the same heart, the same hopes. That's really important in life. Community means all of us uh, inputting to it. It's we who create it. Uh, When we come to community, then we all have something to give. Something that brings life to the community. And the community here at St. Paul's is a community through which life flows. We're invited to be part of that community. And we all have something to give. To love someone else is to give to them. To give in words, to give in physical help, to give in emotional support, to give in kindness. We've all got something we can give. A little bit of time, a little bit of treasure, a little bit of love, a little bit of talent to change people's lives. And if you're here at St. Paul's belonging to this community, then actually the blessing comes... If we uh, are part of that, the way in which the community works. The uh, new church in Acts chapter 2 was a church that says they met together daily. And we meet together on a Sunday. But you know, across the services on a Sunday, well, there's, you know, five or 600 adults most Sunday across the services. Well, that's quite a lot of people to get to know, isn't it? So we have life groups. We have small groups that meet on a weekly basis or three weeks out of four And those life groups are a place in which to engage in life with other people, to share your hopes and dreams, to share what's going on in your life, to get support and encouragement and help, and to uh, to offer yourselves as part of the team that seeks to bring change to our wider community. And uh, we'll be thinking a little bit more about that uh, next week. So we're to love the Christian family, secondly. And thirdly, he says, we're to fear God. Above everything else, treat God as God. We're to have a reverent respect, a reverent awe of who God is. So many people in this world take God for granted, but we're to have a respect of who God is. And I've been uh, mulling this over this week. What does it mean to fear God? Because it's like, I don't know, you read that and you think, well, what does that mean to fear God? So this is, I did a little bit of study on it. This is, um, Proverbs help us to flesh the meaning out. It says this in Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, chapter 1, verse 7. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, evil, chapter 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, chapter 9, verse 10. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, for his children will be a refuge. And for his children will be a refuge, chapter 14, 26. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life 14:27. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Chapter 15:16. Through the fear of the Lord a man avoids evil 16:6. 6. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. And I think the fear of the Lord in the Bible combines two qualities, the qualities of love and respect. And I just want to outline this briefly, uh, just for a couple of minutes. Um, It's it's a loving respect and respectful love. To fear someone, in this sense, is to love them and respect them at the same time. Uh, We can see that more clearly if I state it in the negative. Where there is no respect, there is no fear. There is no love. (laughs) Where there is no respect, there is no love. And that applies to all human relationships. Where there is no respect inside a marriage, there is no love either. Where there is no respect in a family, there is no love either. And so young women, and I say this to my my girls, young women, remember this. When a young man asks you to go out with him, no matter what he says, If he doesn't respect you, he doesn't love you. I think love and respect go hand in hand. If they don't respect you, they don't love you. Fear and the fear of the Lord, I think, is about love and respect. How does this apply to our relationship with God? Well, this is my definition it's the choice I make to obey God because I love him. And I want to please him. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude in my heart that causes me to choose over and over again to obey God, even when it might be easier to do something else. I make that choice because I love God and I want to please him. The fear of the Lord is not a cringing fear, which is respect without love, it's not a flippant fear which is love without respect. But actually, it's respect plus love that equals a fear of the Lord. Does that that help at all? I don't know know if that helps you, but it helped me when I was working it out. I was thinking, oh yeah, that's fear of the Lord. Love and respect. And actually, when you think that through, that goes into every relationship in our lives. Love Love and respect. Love and respect. Love and respect. And the two have come equally, hand in hand. So, Peter writes this morning, and he says, look, I want to remind you, in this new place that you are, scattered Christians, here's what I want you to do. Be agents of change. Respect those in authority, love the people. And in loving the people, be the salt and the light that brings change into their lives. Secondly, he says, I I want you to um, belong to that community. Not just the community that you belong to, but the community of followers to meet together, to support one another, to love one another, to create this sense of community that actually God wants. If we can create it in the church, it can be reproduced in society. To create a community that others can look at and say, that's how we should be living, a community of love and respect. And finally he says, fear the Lord. Have a love and respect of uh, the Lord that is right in your lives. Shall we stand together? Can we do that?